It's the podcast that shakes and stirs up pharmacy. Welcome to PBM On The Rocks. The only thing I'm mocking is PC made Twitter account. <laughs> and they deserve it. We hate them. They do we deserve do. it. Which is why I keep correcting their graphics. I mean, someone has to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Their graphics are terrible. And those op-its are awful. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, those guys. When are they ever going to I love learn? how they throw this out there and they're just like, here's an op-it by a pharmacist. When they're just like, okay, um, they've been like discounting us as pharmacists forever. And like we have a billion pharmacists saying that they're straight up like swindling everyone. And this is practically a giant RICO case. And yet they're just like flaunting this other guy's credentials who hasn't actually worked on the ground level in ages. It's ridiculous. Whatever suits the argument at the time. Yeah. <laughs> they really are ridiculous. They, they, they're just, yeah, just not even going to go there. Hey, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Glad you're with us. I'm happy to be here. Mark is a, a pharmacist and an attorney here in Arizona, and he is the best, the best, the best. We love oh, Mark. You're sweet. Thank you. And, and everybody, nice combo. Arizona decided to delay enforcement Yay. of the new USP chapters so that they could be more deliberate. Um, and the argument we made was there are some really good parts, and they ought to be implemented, but there are some really awful parts that have no business being implemented are going to cause access issues for patients. It's going to cause pharmacies to close or at least change their service offering. And and I get that it's 13 and a half years in the making, but one of the reasons why it's 13 and a half years in the making is it's not that good. And so <laughs> Arizona, take a leadership position and go deliberately. And no one ever said that you it was a take all or take none. You, you can take some and you could create a, a, frankly, a better product that mixes some of the old, some of the new, and some of the we haven't thought of yet that balances the needs of patients, balances the needs of the employees that work for us, and balances the, the ability for business owners to, to move forward. And, and so we were happy. We got the, it sounds like we need a task force. I said, then let's do that. And that, that'll allow us to go slow. As long as it's a task force with independent pharmacies on it, this well, whole so, task so, force with CVS and it, that does not work. No, completely understand. And, and what's nice, the timing is really good. There is a rule writing task force. And we decided in the meeting that the rule writing task force should have, should, should address this, but it needs different members to address the compounding issues. And so they agreed that we needed to have the right people on it. So part of the write-up I will do is send me your best and smartest people who are willing to volunteer for this task force and we will get them in panels. Best and and it's not a very heavy commitment. It is a, it's done remotely via Zoom so people don't have to come to Phoenix if they're not near Phoenix. They can do it from their workplace or from their home. But um, I do want them to be able to commit to doing it because if they don't, if they're on the task force, but they're not able to attend, that doesn't help. Dave, are you a compounding pharmacy? If you, are you, is yours a- Yeah, we're, we're a hybrid, so we, we compound. Yeah, okay. All yep. right. 
I don't know what Illinois, so this isn't necessarily PBM related for everybody listening. We will get to that in just a minute. <laughs> the, um, oh, there's a, what, there's another thing that happened. The Arizona board uh, was petitioned by a private citizen from Missouri and a private citizen from Yuma, Arizona to talk about temperature and mailing medications. And what the board completely missed or conveniently ignored was the root cause of their concern. Why are their medications too hot and too cold? It wasn't because pharmacists don't know how to do it. It was because they're forced into mail order even if they have very fragile, expensive medications that are not handled appropriately. And and so the board also impaneled its task force to talk about how do you handle temperature excursion medications carefully and, and I want to point to the root cause of the first statement that the woman from Missouri made about medication that she believes was adulterated because it was not handled appropriately when it was delivered to her home in Missouri because she was forced to use a mail order pharmacy and not until she went to NBC News and told her story did her PBM allow her and only her the ability to go pick it up from her local pharmacy. So. That, that, I think, is PBM-related and an opportunity for Arizona to write rules in the concept of dealing with temperature and safe handling of medications, but also double down on the freedom of choice, which is, hey, you offer prescription benefits in this state. We really meant it when we said you need to be able to choose your own pharmacy. It would be amazing if Arizona actually takes a leadership role in that, especially given how hot it has been here. I know the whole country was under a heat dome for quite a while, but we we broke a record. We were under a severe heat warning for 31 straight days. So um, for everybody listening, this is our uh, this is our special edition mocktails and PBM mockery because they have never been more worthy of being mocked than apparently this month, just based on various things that have been happening. So I'm going to go first. I have a real Moscow Mule mug but it is currently made with diet ginger beer, which isn't that bad. And something made by a group called Free Spirit, which is like a fake bourbon. It's botanical and it contains B vitamins. So it doesn't taste a thing like bourbon, not even close, but it works. It's still pretty good. And I'm sure I'll have a lot of energy by the time I'm done drinking it. So you're doing a Kentucky mule sans alcohol. Yes, yes, a real Moscow mule mug with a fake Kentucky mule. Right, that's what I meant to say. Mark, what about you? I have my Bozen and Snow mug mm. with Coca-Cola in it because Coca-Cola was invented by a pharmacist. Was it really? <laughs> it was. Hello, little factoid, I did not know this. Was that in Arizona? No, Coca-Cola was invented by a Georgia pharmacist, which is why it's still based in Georgia, in Atlanta. And um, back in the day, it was made with real cocoa leaves and had cocaine in it. And to this day, the Coca-Cola company, using the original recipe from the pharmacist, distills out the cocaine and uh, makes pharmaceutical-grade cocaine that we use in compounded medications for ear, nose, and throat doctors. Mm, I didn't know that. But I will say that the funniest episode ever of Drunk History is the one where they talk about the history of Coca-Cola. So if you haven't seen it, very, very, very funny. So I, I love that show. 
Dave? Well, I'm probably the boring one. Just a uh, Diet Pepsi. It's only boring if the person drinking it thinks it is. I like it. <laughs> and uh, Lord Dr. Jeremy. I am currently drinking a Hippies and Cowboys IPA. Uh, I'm about to migrate to a second location. And I will be dipping into Jameson on the rocks there. And I guess we could say that the ice is fake. The ice is fake, but the sentiment is real. Totally fair. I um, made a coconut mojito. It's your basic mojito with um, mint leaves and um, simple syrup. And I muddled in some lime juice. Then instead of using vodka, I did coconut water and then added a sparkling soda topper. That's my wife would like that. So it's really refreshing. Right on. And it'll be, um, so that's a good electrolyte boosting drink too. So not only is it a mocktail, but it's also healthy. So well, theoretically anyway. <laughs> I did grow the mint. So at least, you know, it's organic mint leaves from my balcony garden. So that's it's awesome. Healthy. It's healthy. And happily what we do, although we can't do this for Diet Pepsi and Coca-Cola, happily what we do is um, whenever anyone brings a cocktail to the show, we will include the recipe in the show notes or so I only on the show notes, the names of the cocktails or drinks are there. And then on our website page, there is every cocktail and drink that has been brought on the show. There is a list. If it's a cocktail, it has the ingredients of how to make it. So if there's a show that you're listening to and you decide you want to try that cocktail, you'll have the recipe on our website, truthrx.org backslash pbm dash on dash the dash rocks. Got it. Okay. And on that happy note, who is cheering that Blue Shield ditched CBS? I am cheering. That was insane. But it's about time that the market caught up on it. Like they finally realized that they were getting scammed all these years. Like it's ridiculous. Yes. I didn't hear you. Who ditched CBS? Oh Blue my gosh. Blue Shield, California. Blue Shield of California. I saw that this morning. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. And then the market responded, which is exactly what the market's supposed to do. Even good RX saw their share value drop, or I guess maybe their shares dropped. Um, all so, three because they're in bed dropped. with those idiots. Yes, all all three. You're right, Dave. And yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited about that because it gives me hope. So I learned today that every single one of our states, all 50 states have at least one PBM regulation law now, which is amazing. And Mark and I being here in Arizona, Arizona was definitely a state that for the longest time was like, you know, that was never going to happen. And then last year we got our PBM licensure bill in place here. So we're up there too. We have now 40 bills in Congress, 40 bills in consideration at the federal level. They're all dealing with different things. That's happening. So all this good stuff's happening. But the one thing that hasn't really happened where it really could make a big difference is some kind of movement in the marketplace. And now we have movement in the marketplace. Now we have you know, a major insurer who has said, we're going to take a break from CVS, Caremark, and we're going to go with Amazon and Mark Cuban Drug Company. That to me, I, th I felt like that was the missing link. That's what was needed 
to, in order to see any kind of actual foothold in PBM reform. But that's what I think. Was it all commercial? Were they self-funded accounts? California, just so you know, California is one of the few states that does not combine Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Blue Cross of California is different than Blue Shield of California. Blue Shield is the one that drops CVS. And and they are they are a broad insurer. They have they have commercial and government payers. There's some self-insured they act as a TPA. But but they're a big player in California. They're fairly ubiquitous. They offer commercial, government, and TPA services for self-funded plans. Probably biggest competitor is actually Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser is bigger than them, right? I don't know that Kaiser is bigger than them, but Kaiser's also very big. Yeah, I saw in the Wall Street Journal, there were some people commenting on the Wall Street Journal's article about this. And some people were saying, if you were with Kaiser, you wouldn't be dealing with this at all. And I kind of thought, I'm not 100% sure if that's true or not. Uh, I, there's a real willingness to blame the drug makers and just say, really, it's all you know their fault and forget about insurance. But I, I think part of the reason is because this is hard to understand. In the same article, there's this new six minute video that the Wall Street Journal did explaining the money flow between all the players. And, you know, I understand this thing, I think, pretty cold. And I found it to be still a fascinating, but, you know, I, I had to watch that video a couple of times myself, just watching it like, oh, that's right. This is how this other segment of the market goes. And that's me. I live and breathe this stuff every day like you guys do. I can only imagine being a consumer and just being like, I just want to know that I can afford my medication. <laughs> I don't really care who's responsible. But I thought anyone who thinks Kaiser isn't part of the grift is uh, they're insane. Like Kaiser, they're just as part of a grift as everyone else. They may not be as bad, but they're a part of the grift. Absolutely. Kaiser Kaiser's a more traditional HMO model. Um, closed its network, which is how it controls its cost. It limits the choices of its consumers. So you, you sound like you're the most knowledgeable of, of us, of all the people not in California who are on this call, which is basically all of us not in California. Um, do you think that their model works? Do you know anything about how they do their pharmacy? Just, I mean, if you don't, it's cool. I just was kind of curious. I think there's a unique perspective you have if, if you're a covered life on an insurance plan. <laughs> Kaiser is really HMO. It is old school. You got to stay in network. You got to have referrals to go to a specialist. It's old school HMO because that's where it all started. Uh, they embrace that model and they use it as cost containment. So that's what I know about Kaiser. How do they access pharmacy benefits? I do not know. My guess is, is that they probably try to incentivize people to use Kaiser dispensaries, Kaiser pharmacies but I can't imagine they don't have the typical network agreements with CVS Express Scripts and and, um, and Optum must all play, must all have Kaiser patients, but I don't know pharmacy benefits from the consumer perspective very well. My guess is the contract- Oh, you have to go to a Kaiser uh, pharmacy, like straight up. I want it, what do they you? do is, like I, I get patients from all over the United States where I'm in downtown Blacksburg, Virginia, like two blocks from Virginia Tech campus. I get them from all over. Kaiser will not pay us like when we bill Kaiser. What happens is Kaiser patients will pay out of pocket to us and then they get reimbursed whatever back from Kaiser, which should uh -huh. honestly be exactly how it should be with most all insurance. But yeah, that's that's how that works. Yeah, I think someday we're going to have to go to back to indemnity plans where 
you pay me as a pharmacist, and then you you collect what you can from your insurance company. Some of them. Oh yeah, they anyway. they do it on purpose to keep us from exactly. actually being able to do that. So so I didn't know you were well, from that part of Virginia. So so what's a hokey? Uh, I am. <laughs> you are a hokey. Well, what is a hokey other than you as an alum? I did oh, my first year at the College of St. Louis University, and we were the Billikens. Oh, the Billikens! <laughs> what is a Billikin? A Billikin literally looks Louis. like a billy goat and a pelican had a baby. Oh, God. Ooh, I like so this. So it takes platypus and makes it even more interesting. The Billikin is- mascot is cool. He's a cool, he's a cool looking thing. I have to, I have to look look a little like Shrek. I gotta look this up. Well, Mark, since you asked, why don't you explain to everybody what a sun devil is? Oh, I can't because um, I knew how to read, so I went to the University of Arizona. (laughs) I'm a wildcat. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is awesome. Yes, the University of Arizona, Arizona State University rivalry is epic here. And I feel like because I am a graduate of ASU, I'm a, I got my MBA there, I should defend them. Except the problem is I, got, I went to University of New Mexico, and I, that's where I, I identify as a Lobo. So I can't do really a job defending. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking at this Billiken thing. And yeah. it's a oh, looking mascot. It's, yeah. it's like a... Is it really the combination of a pelican and a billy goat? It's goofy looking. So, Dave, you, I, I think, are the accidental advocate. Uh, I've known you for several years now, and I don't think you saw yourself being who you've become with your pharmacy degree. All the way, by the way, everybody, Dave Baggett is the genius behind our PBM pen. This is the this is the guy. <laughs> Our, our the legend of Dave Baggett. <laughs> my daughter did that. <laughs> your daughter's your daughter. That? Yeah. that is awesome. And she's now very ashamed that I made them spread so far and wide. Oh, they're everywhere. Yes. Everybody has one. <laughs> they rock. <laughs> That's funny. Why is she ashamed? She should be proud. She was against it the whole time she was doing it. Her statement was, "It's not very professional." Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not a very PBM. professional man. <laughs> Put me well, in a profession where people treat each other like they should, and I'll be fucking professional. Right. Jeez. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, it's true, right? I mean, the least professional group of people in the world are the the people that came together and decided they'd create this whole system where they would start by processing pharmacy claims and end by creating something called a DIR fee and spread pricing and, and these rebates that they, you know, say that they pass through to somebody, mostly themselves. Very, very professional. Yeah. Use the I'll show them professional when I take a dump in a box and mail it to Karen Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a simple man doing simple man things. <laughs> Monique, you two could time it so that you can drop the flaming dog poop at the CVS headquarters in Arizona as Karen Lynch receives Jeremy's poop. You can't say anything about fire near the CVS headquarters. We've been over this. <laughs> You're gonna get me banned again. That's right. That's right. No, no saying fire and CVS headquarters. That will result in a certain somebody being booted off. 
Twitter or X. What is it? What is it actually called? I know we're calling it Twitter still, but the platform formerly known as Twitter. I, I guess. Like when you do we still say we check very confusing to me. One of our listeners is gonna actually like do some shit like that. And then I'm gonna have the FBI knock on my fucking door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, maybe Twitter is not called Twitter anymore. It's called it's just the letter X. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, nobody nobody seems to know what to call it. So when they talk about like, oh, somebody tweeted everyone's confused because they're like they tweeted but or did they x um what What i've seen a lot a lot of news groups do is put capital x twitter as all one word so they're basically rebranding the rebrand is that i I got nothing that a worse uh rebrand than the pbm's rebranding oh the pbc rebranded a rebrand that's some pcma shit yeah did that has that ever got any traction we were actually talking about that last episode where um, it has been noted that with all of their efforts in every single congressional hearing, not a single one of them calls them anything but PBNs. There are no PBCs. There are no pharmacy benefit companies. There are pharmacy benefit managers. Everyone ignores the rebranding. Whatever they call them, we're going to put this in front of it. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> We need to create a montage of that with PBM, PBC, whatever the hell else they want to call themselves each day. It's like they, every single day, they they create their reality in some way where they're like, you know what we do? We create networks with all kinds of wonderful rainbows and bunnies and unicorns and everybody gets their medication and it's all wonderful. And then like out in the real world, it's sort of like, like it's like a, like a Willy Wonka from hell, right? Where they're like... <laughs> inside PCMA. That's what happens when you have so much power, you can ignore laws. They're used to doing whatever they want. They'll ignore laws and they'll do whatever and they basically print money and they don't care. They basically run organized crime. Like what they do right now, like Tony Soprano Mm -hmm. would gush over being able to do this shit. (laughs) Like what they do. So how do you expect them to be like, Oh, well, let's do this marketing campaign to wherever they rebrand and it doesn't work. They're probably like, why doesn't this work? Because they're used to oh, well. literally everything they do working because no actual, like, there's no market pressure on them. They call their own shots. They do not live in the same world as we do. Nope. So, of nope. course, they don't get it. They're not people. <laughs> they literally aren't. <laughs> no, no, they're not. They're not. Um, as evidenced by the uh, whatever it was that happened in Oklahoma. Oh, the Tenth Circuit Court decision. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that that was unfortunate because so again, like in a world where you would never hear people saying this, you'll hear it in our world, right? Like people gushing over insurance commissioners. So there's you know the one in Ohio, Dave Yost, and then there's uh, the one in in Oklahoma. Here we have two people who really gone after trying to do the right thing and the PCMA has been able to you know come in and in one case I think they they've been fighting long and hard in Ohio and I don't think that's gone anywhere but in Oklahoma it's just disappointing because I think Oklahoma's really trying to do the right thing CVS was terrible over there and PCMA coming in and and representing this lawsuit and then you have this court which is doing a I guess a very narrow interpretation I mean I'm speaking as just Joe average citizen but Mark, you're the attorney. Um, you may have something far more interesting or intelligent to say about that. 
Oh, it's interesting. I haven't had a chance to read the Mulready decision. I think the gist of it is the Tenth Circuit appears to have upheld part of the preemption and not all of the preemption. So I think the gist of the ruling is, you know, ERISA doesn't preempt this act like the PBMs have claimed for years and years and years. But it sounds like the Tenth Circuit spent a bunch of time on does Medicare Part D, however. Right. Um, and, and so I don't think it eroded Rutledge necessarily, but it was if you're a good lawyer and you, you take the Supreme Court loss if you're PCMA's lawyer and you make a different argument with a different set of facts and it sounds like they they caught a couple of the Medicare Part D preemption. Does anything good happen in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals? They do tend to seem to put out things like a bunch of chumps. The yeah. What the, the fuck? It was the problem. All all of the circuits have their good and bad. Even the That's Ninth Circuit. Rutledge, Rutledge would have started in the Arkansas District Courts and then make it make its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ultimately decided Rutledge. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, wh- which court of appeals did it go through? Because I don't think Arkansas is part of Denver. Good question. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll get we'll come back to that. Did anybody see what AIDS Healthcare Foundation was doing with the United Doesn't Care campaign? <laughs> oh, I must have missed that. No. It is so, so good. Jeremy, um, I reposted on a number of their videos on the social media formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I will have to check it out. I've retweeted <laughs> something from them at some point this week. I don't know if it was a part of that, but I can't remember. Until yesterday, I worked like 13 out of the last 15 days while having a new baby. So I'm just like blown right now. So <laughs> valid. Yeah. <laughs> so we had. Did you say it was the AIDS Foundation? AIDS mm-hmm. Foundation. Yeah, the AIDS, AIDS Healthcare Foundation. So we oh. had them on the summit because they do such creative work. So like they had the Washington DC ad, which showed it was, it was so great. It said, why are PBMs so rich? Why are pharmacy benefit managers so rich? And we just thought we love them because they're like us, right? We just want to get out there and speak straight and ask the real questions and not spend too much time dancing around. And, and they've been doing that. And so they did this wonderful presentation for us where they showed us kind of a look behind the curtain of what they do. They talked about protests. So I loved what one of the presenters ran and said, <clears throat> she said that when you're getting ready to do something like this, you really have to be willing to get uncomfortable. And she was talking about in a physical way, but really I think it's that's an important point for anybody who is wanting to see real change happen with pharmacy benefit managers, because it can be uncomfortable. It's, it, it's all fine and fun, you know, when we're putting out certain graphics and we're making fun of the dumb things that they do, but it, it's quite another when you decide you're going to put on your white coat and you're going to go out and you're going to, you know, march in front of United Health's corporate headquarters, which is what these guys did out in Minnesota. I did like, they always have people in costumes for those too. And it's so much, there was one, I was telling Monique earlier, one of the people had on uh, black and white, like prisons, burglar stripes type thing, very much a la the Hamburglar from McDonald's, those old 70s and 80s characters. It was phenomenal. I loved it. If any of you guys saw this, but they had the one, this one is uh, about their CEO's salary. Just so, so well done. He makes just like all of these guys, he makes something like 230 times what the average United Healthcare employee makes. What's his salary? 
it's 20.9 million. That's what he made <laughs> in 2022. They said it's a whopping $10,000 per hour. Blood and money. I don't see how these people sleep at night. Not not sleep at night. They're lucky that like the masses aren't rising up with guillotines. Like it's disgusting. And it's all blood money. People don't they know, make this Jeremy. money to non-care. People don't know that they're the ones that are destroying healthcare and, and making that much money off it. They don't know. No, it's it's a, simpler to like blame the drug companies or, you know, you can blame like the insurance companies. But at this point, the insurance companies are also the PBMs. And when it comes down to it, people think, oh, look at how much money my insurance saved me. Like those yeah. like, figures are real. They don't understand that all of this is imaginary money. Yeah. It's pretty insane. Anybody read something, some, you know, we'll put, put it out. The, the electronic billing thing where they're keeping 5% of what doctors are billing and being paid. That was the ProPublica yeah. put that yeah. out. Yeah. It is on the PubMe's feed. Yeah. And they say, when they say, no, we don't want to do it electronically, they say, tough luck. You have to. Yeah. So, I mean, is that part of, the Affordable Care Act says they can only keep 15% of premiums. Well, here's a way to generate revenue. Yeah. When we pay them, we'll find a way to charge them a 5% fee. Next year, if it's like DIR, it'll be 10%. Yeah, medical loss ratio has become so abused. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's the excuse they have is just like, well, we can only make so much profit. So you know that we're not the ones that are running up healthcare charges but also i'm sorry i don't feel too bad for these docs that we were screaming at forever hey get on our side they're gonna come for you and they all ignored us finally we're getting people on our side well i mean i'm upset like you are jeremy but we need them i know we, we need, need them and i'm glad they're here but it's just like okay well why don't you really get on my side and quit handing out fucking good rx cars to everybody <laughs> yep. Yep. like it's getting fucking annoying Tell yep. your nurses to quit fucking pointing people to go to like these chains or something like they're going to save them money. It's not. Yep. Like healthcare as a whole, like all of us professionals need to have a you know, like powwow and figure this out because it's yep. not working and we need to be on the same side. And we've tried screaming into the heavens forever. And the only reason we're getting traction now is they've started squeezing the dogs because they can't squeeze us anymore. Yeah, I think it was just so unbelievable when it was first happening. I mean, I know when I was first learning about this, I was just, I couldn't even get my head around that the kinds of practices that PBMs were getting away with was legal in the United States in the 21st century in a quote unquote free market economy. Yeah, people don't believe you. They don't because it's so outrageous. I mean, I didn't. People, then I had this, this is obviously biased. <laughs> like, that's what they think. They think we're being biased. And the thing is, it's it's like any disease, right? Or like any cancer, it starts to spread and then suddenly others are affected by it. And now, you know, we, we are fortunate that we're getting the kind of support, but we were there first. Uh, I think that it's well recognized that the pharmacists were the ones, you know, initially as the canary in the coal mine, as the old saying goes, but I, I'm really very optimistic now. I mean, as, as much as I I dislike the day-to-day -day nonsense that the trade lobby puts out for them. I've never been more optimistic. I mean, we, we're seeing good things happening in the marketplace. We're seeing laws that are you know, being considered. Uh, I, it's been fascinating to watch so many legislators in these hearings speak so knowledgeably. 
about the problem and ask truly intelligent questions. It, I, I'm just, I'm very optimistic, very gratified. Well, but, Monique, you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent that there's a lot of reason for optimism, but the one thing that we should still be really upset about is no one is mentioning the one solution to the PBM problem is getting rid of rebates. Yes. And they're not rebates, they're fucking kickbacks. They're not rebates. That's and no one is doing it because they're all afraid because if you mess with rebates, it fucks with the CBO score and no one wants to touch the CBO score. But also, if you fuck with rebates, uh, all the kickback money goes out of also these government organizations like CMS and everyone else. They want the money. They're addicted to the fucking money. There's, there's something more than that, Jeremy, because that's just such bullshit. If you think about what if, if Eloquis actually is only getting 40% of what their list price is. That's what those motherfuckers are willing to sell it for. So yes. why then can't you get rid of rebates and buy it for that price? Yeah, you're that'd be nice. Because, you're because our lawmakers it. wrote a ton of laws that the insurance company told them to pass. Correct. It's more than just being afraid of losing the rebates. There's more to it than that. And it's probably corruption. Yeah. The rebates I only know are a problem. They, they really are. I agree. It, I wrote, we wrote about this last month in the newsletter. You know, it's an addiction. Uh, there's a lot of complicity on all sides. You know, I have friends who I didn't even know I did, but I learned through LinkedIn. I have friends who, you know, work on the benefits broker side and, you know, they're trying to explain like, no, you know, our clients need these rebates. They have to have the money back or they can't afford the healthcare program. And while I can see how they see it that way, they don't have the inside information any more than anyone else does. It's still a problem. We, we should not be relying on a system that artificially oh. inflates prices so that it can then, you know, artificially give money back, particularly, and I thought, you know, Adam Fine did a good job of explaining this, particularly when rebates going back aren't actually going back to the people spending the money for the drug. So I that's why it's not a yes. rebate. So we shouldn't call it that. No, we yes, shouldn't. and they're acting like they co-opted our buying power. We're the ones actually buying these fucking drugs. It's our capital and they managed to co-opt our capital. They stole yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean it's it's a problem and I agree. It, it needs to be addressed. I, ideally it would just be ended because there's no this this can't go anywhere good. You know, it just when you think about what the mechanism I mean, it's is crashing, it's full on crashing right now. And the great thing is, is like we get to do the whole Haha, I fucking told you so, you stupid shit. We get to do that entire fucking <laughs> song and dance. But at the same time, all the people we know and love are dying around us. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's probably the most colorful way you could have described that. So, yeah. Well, then I'm a colorful man. Colorful man, yes, you are. Your daughter's gonna be so proud. So proud. Mark, do you have any comments on rebates? I do actually. Um, <laughs> well, well. Rebates, rebates are rebates are a big part of the problem, but Congress does need to do some stuff. And 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 I've been back and forth to Washington a few times. And Monique, to to echo, I have never seen more attention and more deliberation and more questions about. How do we fix it? Rebates are recognized in the Congressional Code as a kickback. Um, it's an exempted and allowable kickback, but it's time for it to go away. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree. Even in the Senate, Senate Finance, 
when Maria Cantwell's on the same page with James Comer, you know it's you know you've got mm-hmm. some unity up there, and we yep. may actually be able to pass something this yep. this session. Yep. We will outside but, of an omnibus bill. Yeah, Mark, do we keep will, in but mind, it's also when the Trump administration was going to eliminate rebates, it was only in Medicare Part D, which I mean that's, that's all Congress actually has control over. So then no, it, then it true. rests on the but, states. Couldn't they just take, they could take away all the safe harbor law from them. Yeah. Well, well, the safe harbor laws only apply to, to government programs. And so all Congress and, and the White House have jurisdiction over other government programs. All of the other programs are state by state. And, and that's, why, that's why Monique spends so much time in all these states. We got to pick them off one at a time. Yeah. And yeah, the self-funded plan is, self-funded plans will always be able to do what they want to do. The entire yeah, that, thing is, it's great that we got the political will now, and then we're trying to get this done. But we've got to move faster, and no one's talking about reimbursement. No one's going to be around by the time they fix this if they don't fix reimbursement like immediately. All right, so so I'll get on my soapbox. We are the third largest health profession and have zero money in our association's packs. For Monique, I'm convinced that you have used your own personal money to do much of the work you've done because (laughs) Congress, the State House, say what you will, they will pay attention to the squeakiest wheel, and we are not the squeakiest wheel, and we need to be. That is my speech, And, and until the pharmacists in our own ranks decide to get involved and decide to live up to their civil duty, we will always be the redheaded stepchild that gets the shaft. Amen. You're right. Yeah. But I'm pretty I'll just, squeaky. I'll, I'll just jump on that soapbox with you and say that, um, and the person, by the way, who pointed this out to me in the first place was actually you, Dave. So much doesn't get discussed at pharmacy school. And this is one of those areas that I think really needs to be discussed at pharmacy school that you have to get involved at the political level. And people, I, I know that it, it looks quote unquote dirty, right? You make a campaign contribution, but it, there's a very fin- big financial reality to running for office, staying in office. You're not paying a politician for them to do something. You are contributing to their ability to stay in office and do the work for you. And you know it, it can look like it's a quid pro quo, I'd argue for that it's not. In fact, I'd argue for that because of the number of times that I've made campaign contributions and not seen things go my way. Uh, I would say it's really about, there's an elected representative, when you're contributing to them, you actually do have something to say to them, you know, not, you have to be careful about this. So if anyone wants advice on how to talk to a politician, you should contact Pud, even though we are not a political organization, talk to me, talk to Shannon. Well, if we can't answer a question, we'll get you to someone who can, but it's just, you I do- I will pay you $5,000 to introduce this law. <laughs> you can't do that? You don't do that, don't do that. That's not allowed. But you know, you can, you can say like, you know, you can say, I am a constituent. I support you. I need your ear. I need you to help in a situation that is happening for real in my industry. And I just think because we don't start dealing with that at the, at the educational level, we end up pulling to a situation and it's hard, you know, uh, we, so I, I am the executive director for PUT. I'm the volunteer executive director for the Arizona independent pharmacy coalition. 
And that is a nonstop job of trying to fundraise merely to cover the lobbyists. It's not even to cover like the, the daily operating expenses. We haven't even gotten to that point yet. We're just trying to cover the lobbyist who's done such a phenomenal job for Arizona pharmacy. And it's that way, you know, in many, many, many states. So if anyone, you know, is listening to this, my advice to you would be to get, get interested, get interested in the process because you can make it work, but you have to get involved first. <laughs> really just sit you do have to get involved and it's and it's a it's a long-term commitment i started calling and showing up and and part of it my my business partner will tell you a big part of life is just showing up and just showing up and being there and monique will tell you that that some of the leadership know me by sight they call me in the middle of the night ask me questions but it didn't start out that way for the first five to ten years that i was at the arizona capitol it was like I'm Mark Bosen. I've met you a hundred times. This is what I do. And, and I'm just like, this isn't working, but you just don't give up. You just keep showing up. And, and eventually they start remembering you and you're a fixture and, and they rely on you. And, and that didn't come from gobs of money that I spent. And in fact, early in my career, I had no money, but, but I decided to show up and help and offer constructive criticism. And I, I got to learn the lobbyists who are on the other side. And I got to I got to learn what their response was going to be to 100% of the things we would say. And then I'd have the clever rebuttal that I didn't have the first five times, but I finally figured it out. <laughs> and then that would disarm them. And, and, and Jay Capozzi, who's not a PBM lobbyist anymore, used to be my arch nemesis. And after a while, we got to be friends. And Monique, I don't know if you remember the most recent stakeholder meeting I was at when Optum had this relatively new lobbyist who started challenging me. And Jay Capozzi's sitting off to the side, just making eye contact with me, like, "Oh, she done done it now." Like, you don't. <laughs> he's, you ain't. He's been here long yeah. enough. He, he's gonna eat your lunch, because um, Jay wasn't even gonna come to her defense. And I think Jay, part of the reason why he moved on is, is it's a losing battle now. The semblance of nobility that was there when PBMs first started, and they started here in our backyard in Arizona. Prescription card services was the first one, and it started in 1968 at the same place that CVS headquarters is now. They were good things, and I talk about the progression of how great this was, and what it, and it was started by pharmacists to help us, and it's become this monster that that ate our lunch. And but it's showing up too, and and I get that you're busy and you're running businesses, but part of that's an investment. Part of that is spending money on a relief pharmacist once a week during the session to just be there and, and be at those hearings. And it makes all the difference in the world because eventually you don't have to go. They'll just call you on the phone and say, there's a hearing today. What questions should I ask and should I vote yes or no? And when you get to have that level of power and influence, then you know you've arrived. Well said, Mark. So we are now coming to the end of our happy hour with our mocktails. I would love to give Dave and Jeremy a chance to just, if there's anything you'd like to share about your own experience advocating or having talked with elected officials. And then the last question I'll just ask everybody is, uh, what, what are we lifting our glass and cheering to this month? What's making us happy about PBMs, PBM reform, or anything? <laughs> it could be anything. I went to my senator, who was the, uh, the minority leader in Illinois at the time, and he had had a phone conversation with me once and had a bunch of people in there. And 
When I got there, there was a, a lobbyist for Centene. There was a lobbyist for PCMA. And there was one other one, too. But, it, I, I mean, I was just trounced by these guys. They walked all over me. But if you stick with it, like Mark was saying, you start to know how to speak to them. All I have to do is present some facts. And it's, I mean, it, it's easy. And, and I, I think we're getting there. So everybody keep it up. But I, I still agree with Mark how there are so many people who are unwilling to be involved in this while their livelihood is going down the toilet is just. Uh, my personal favorite as far as advocacy, uh, well, it typically happens around like the stuff I say on Twitter. Feedback, I will have like people come into my pharmacy from all over because they're in Blacksburg for some reason and they're just like, oh, you're hokey pharmacist on Twitter. And that they'll come in and they'll talk about that. But my personal favorite thing was I'll encourage everyone to be outspoken in a lot of ways because you don't know who's paying attention. Lena Khan, after they passed the committee vote to go ahead and do the 6B study, messaged me on Twitter and told me and thanked me for all my advocacy and everything else. And I was really proud of that because I don't think these people are paying attention to me, but, you know, just get out there, scream. It may sound like you're screaming to the heavens, but sometimes people listen, you know, sometimes have a big mouth, sometimes say shit, just do it. Jeremy, like otherwise people are going to listen from Lena Khan. Well, he did. did start the hashtag Queen Khan. Queen you Khan. You are my hero. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy about that. God, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, start screaming. You don't know who's listening. Speak your truth. Get out there. Do that. And as Dave said, no, no, it was Mark who said it. Bribe your local officials. I think that was the official <laughs> message. He did not say to your opponent is you might as well <laughs> <laughs> okay i think you know what i think that we will end on that note i think let's drink to do not bribe your officials they're playing dirty we gotta play dirty Thank you. <laughs> to learn more about Pharmacist United for Truth and Transparency and how you can help fight PBM abuse of our healthcare system, visit our website at truthrx.org.